welcome to the Educational Renaissance Podcast, where we promote a rebirth of ancient wisdom for the modern era. We seek to inspire educators by fusing the best of modern research with the insights of the great philosophers of education. Join us in the great conversation and share with a friend or colleague to keep the Renaissance spreading. In this episode, listen to a recording of Dr. Patrick Egan's presentation at the 2023 SCL Summer Conference on creating a culture of excellence. Great, thank you everyone for joining me here on our last day of the conference. It can wind up being a low energy day, so I've got a few questions for you. Are you ready in this moment to do your best work? Are you ready? Great, good, good. Are you prepared to strive for excellence? Okay, good. I think we're in a great place where we can work together to strive for excellence. I am Patrick Egan, and I am really excited to be here with you today. I often write about Charlotte Mason, and there's a framework that she has for habit training that uh, has been really fundamental for my own thinking about how to work with students in the classroom to help support them in acquiring the habits that help them live and learn. I think it's really interesting if you went to today's keynote address and we learned about all of these statistics about young learners today, their openness, and this whole idea of holistic living. Charlotte Mason was very much on about this. So we're not just engaging the intellect, we're also helping students have a holistic understanding of what it means to live life masterfully. And so I have this quote for her up on the board here. There is no habit or powerful so useful to man or woman as that of personal initiative. Ultimately, that's what habit training is about. And we can think of this in terms of ancient thinking about virtue, about arete, and how it is directed towards eudaimonia, or personal happiness, or satisfaction in life, or life direction and meaning. We have to acquire those virtues by way of habit. We become habituated to those things. And so when we think about these students that are brought into our care, we often think about content delivery, but there's so much more going on where we are helping them to unlock what she calls that personal initiative of getting that student engaged in their own course of learning, their own course of personal pursuit of excellence. Anything else winds up becoming manipulation. And so we want them to acquire that self-direction that is so important to our whole educational project. So what is it we're building today? I won't really be talking about cultural context in the way that we heard this morning in our keynote address. What we'll really be talking about is the microcosm of the classroom. How is it that we as teachers can create these mini cultures in our classrooms 
that enable our students to pursue excellence. And there is no greater habit training tool than building a culture of excellence. What you're calling students to is not just how to tie your shoe quickly or how to keep your locker clean or how to write your homework down, but we're actually embedding them within this culture where we are together pursuing excellence and every one of us in this room is going to work together in pursuit of this great idea. Today, we'll talk about five things. We're supposed to talk about three, right? The rule of three in composition and rhetoric. Well, I'm giving you five. So I apologize if I'm breaking the rules of rhetoric. But we'll talk about analyzing our culture, meaning your classroom culture, envisioning what it is you want that culture to be, planning it out, therefore, based on a thorough understanding of what your classroom is and what you want it to be, cultivating your culture. And and yes, I've used both the verb and the noun form of the cognate. You're not supposed to do that also. But I'm going to pause here just to say we are working with with a, a root word here that has the word cult associated with it. And yes, we are going to create a cult of excellence in our classrooms. But it also has to do with gardening and cultivating. So we'll talk about something that is both architectonic. So we have these things like trellises that have straight lines and structures to them, but also something very organic, something where we are thinking about growth and the ways in which students are like these plants that are going to grow upon the trellises we create. And then finally, practicing your culture. So five things we're going to work on today. So when we think about analyzing our culture, we, we want to take a really good analysis or take a picture, if you will, of what's actually happening in our classroom. And in order to do this, you need to observe closely. This takes time and quiet and silence and intentionality to do this. You look at your students closely to figure out, well, what's happening in this space? It takes a lot of eyeballs moving around the room just to get different vantage points on problem areas, things that are working well, students who might not be with the program, who who are my linchpin people in this classroom. So all of these observations are important and these observations can be attended with a notebook where you're just keeping track of things. This could take a few weeks at the beginning of a school year, for instance. You also want to ask questions. Where are we now? What are the tools available to apply to creating the culture that that we want to create? Who am I working with? Do I have students here from broken homes? Are, Are we a group of students where they're listening to um, you know, conservative radio on the drive-in and that's exactly what they're bringing in or they've watched YouTube or played video games or you know, I've, I've had 
group cultures where they reveled in staying up all night playing video games and they were tired the whole time during class. And, and so these were just forces I had to come to terms with and identify in order to start moving us in different directions. What are the biggest issues and problems? If you've lived even one week with your class, it will already emerge that there are problem spots. Oh, I just really don't like how we are transitioning to lunch. Or our journey to PE and back is brutal. We've got to fix that. Uh, dismissal on Fridays uh, is really hard. So you can be very responsive to those moments that are issues and problems by saying, I'm going to need to spend a weekend and just problem solve that moment in my week because that's where we're losing ground. That's where we're not building that culture of excellence that we are on about. So that's the analysis of asking questions. You can also get others involved. You have colleagues in your schools. You have administrators, potentially parents that are great partners where you can ask them to come in I would really love for you to come in and observe our math class because I really, I wanna take this class to the next level and I think you will have insights for me that will help me analyze where we're at right now. Could I invite you to come in uh, on Tuesday? And then identifying those points of friction is really important. That could be uh, friction in your schedule, it could be friction with particular students friction with parents. You, you get your students to a great place and then they go home and the home life isn't optimized. So the homework doesn't come back right or, or you notice like the child gets to a good place and then they come back really chaotic. Maybe I need to intensify my parent partnership. So identifying where those points of friction is, is the an analysis you need to do. And now for a message from our sponsor. Rethink your why. As educators interested in renewing education for a new generation, Jason Barney's new book, Rethinking the Purpose of Education, helps you rethink learning objectives around moral, spiritual, and intellectual virtues. Get your copy of Rethinking the Purpose of Education by Jason Barney. Available now through our website or at Amazon.com. Next, we want to envision the culture. And we can hear the word vision in here. This is all about uh, that mystical seeing that we can do as teachers. We want to visualize what is the culture we want to create here? What is that uh, greenhouse that is going to help these students grow and learn. So the first idea is to aim high. And we could think about those mountaintop experiences that we want these students to have. So we're going to aim way up there. And what does that look like, both to be up there and potentially the journey to get there? You know, how do we set up base camp and all of these different levels we need to get to to climb to that high point? That's part of visualization. We want to establish goals. 
And goals, I want to be clear, ought not to be grades. It's not about straight A. It's not about getting stars and stickers and 90%. The goals need to be inspirational. Instead, we want to think about spiritual, relational, personal, and even intellectual goals. So we might want to establish a goal of productive, collegial, argumentative discussion. What would it look like if our class was able to hold a 10-minute, really productive discussion where we talked about important, challenging, controversial ideas in a way that was respectful, it popcorned around and everybody was engaged in it, and that would be a relational and intellectually stimulating environment. That would be striving for excellence. And that's something that we wouldn't necessarily grade or put a 90% on, but I could give feedback on, and I can recognize it when I see it. So setting those kinds of goals, being on time to class or arriving to school, you know, these are things that show respect to others and a sense that we are in this together. So let's work towards being on time or transitioning to our next class on time to show them respect. These are the kinds of things where we can goal set and say, this is what excellence looks like, and this is the ground we wanna to get to. Inspire them, therefore, with ideas. The high ground, the goals are inspiring. And students are so highly responsive to inspirational ideas where we could say, you know what, Napoleon got up early every day. What, a, what an inspiring figure that we could model ourselves after, right boys? And, and you get them committed to this inspiring idea that they've learned about in their history text, and now we're calling them to practices that help them to live this out. And it's the living out, it's the practical habit that is a personal excellence they're committing themselves to because we came up with the inspiring message that calls them to that higher ground. And then we want to measure what actually matters. Now, it could be the grade does matter, and that's a point of measurement. But I often find it is actually a futile and, and minuscule measurement as we think about the things in life that truly matter. We often forget grades that we got. I think the one grade I most remember was the D in physics I got in high school. And I wear that proudly, like, you know what? That did not ruin my life. And so many of my students are afraid a D is or a C or an A minus is going to ruin their lives. And to be able to proudly say, my life was not ruined, maybe made better by that grade. But there are so many other things that were, that are meaningful. They are productive that we want to measure. And this could be things like, we are striving for 100% on time. And the only way we can get there is for all of us to be 100% committed to that goal. And we're going to measure that every day. 
Okay, so you can do things where you are assessing this and you're, you can track it and give feedback. A really brilliant move though, is to have them measure it. So I'm going to do this to you. I asked you a few questions when we came in. Are you ready to do your best work? And so we're going to do a one to 10 scale using our thumbs. One is low, 10 is high. How are we doing on applying our best work right now? So literally put your thumb out, show me how we're doing. Are you, oh, we've got a lot of 10s. We've got some fives. It's a tired part of the week. I'm not seeing many that are below. So that's a great job, our self-assessment has been, we're, we're doing pretty well on our energy levels and our commitment to excellence. So I wanna ask some of you fives. So that is a, a little bit low for where we wanna be. What could we do now to dig deep, draw on that energy source, the caffeine, the half-life is still there, right? And, and we want to dig deep and get that energy store, reset our focus, get ourselves in ready position. Can we do that now? See how I can take that self-assessment. We're measuring what matters, uh, a physical commitment to excellence that the students have now measured. And they've given me feedback. They've been realistic and honest with themselves. Now, is it true? that you could have a pack of middle schoolers who, who make this silly, right? You totally could. But now that's part of the dynamic. Hey, I, I, I see we, we just, we played around with that a little bit and it was silly, but there's something serious that we're measuring. It's that commitment to excellence. And I'm calling you to that. And you're calling yourself to that when we measure this. So we're measuring what matters. Okay. so. Having set that vision, we've analyzed where we are, we've envisioned where we want to be, now we need to come up with some plans. So in planning, we wanna map out routines. And you can think about your entire day or the entire class, where do I physically need to position myself? Am I inside the door, outside the door, up at the screen? Wherever it is I need to be, I need to map that out and set that routine so that I'm exactly where I need to be to optimize this classroom. Now, mapping out routines might include things like handing out papers, collecting assignments, tracking homework in a steno. Uh, do I give jobs to certain students to hand out the history text, to do the whiteboards, all of these types of things. Mapping those out are specific tactical ways where I can call students to excellence. So if I'm standing at the door, welcoming them in, I can take a moment to really call them into a culture we're building at the threshold to say, you are now entering into a culture of excellence. Are you ready to work? Great, I'm looking forward to today's class. So mapping out these routines are part of the process of planning for a culture of excellence. Finding mantras. Now what I mean by mantras are really short phrases that are cues to the kinds of things we're doing. I love the phrase ready position. So if you've uh, heard some of my previous talks, I, I define ready position uh, as follows. Three steps, uh, six feet on the floor. You provide two, the chair provides four. Straight back, 
open face. All right. And it's so funny to see people in the room as they shift into ready position. And my son just did it. <laughs> and uh, so I can now, having instructed them in what ready position looks like, you know, as you see the slouch and the head tilt, you can say, hey, I'm calling everybody to ready position. That's a little mantra that I've created. It's a cue that all of my students know, based on the little talk I had, that this is what I'm calling them to. Recognizing God's presence. So knowing that God is everywhere present, and he is present in our classroom. Before we go to prayer, boys and girls, I want us to recognize God's presence. That's something that happens inside of us. Take a moment before we go to prayer. See how I can set it up. We've got a, a spiritual goal of communing with God every day, but I need to cue it in such a way that I'm getting their full commitment. Uh, you've probably seen the students where they're you know, moving their shoe around and they're not in a place where they're communing with God. But by calling them to that, I'm, I'm making it such that they have every opportunity to commune with the living God that is present in our classrooms and cultivate that personal relationship. Or another mantra, eyes on the speaker or eyes on the text. This is the key to attention. This is how you as a teacher know that you have attention. And the eyes on the speaker is a great tool to use when we are doing discussion. So eyes on the, on the speaker is also something that I can be correcting. Uh, Johnny, I, I noticed you don't have eyes on the speaker. Could, could we fix that? And uh, it becomes a quick mantra that I've created in my planning of what it is I'm calling them to. Lesson planning habits. Oftentimes when we're lesson planning, we are thinking about content delivery. We need to get to page 248 by Friday. How do we get there? Scopes and sequences. What is the outline of the lesson? The written response, the homework for that day. That is our framework for lesson planning, content delivery. But what if we said, in order to have a productive day, I actually need to lesson plan what it looks like to take out our books. We need to go to the cubby or the locker, take out the right book and only the right book. Take out the notebook and only the notebook that is relevant for this class. So I need to actually lesson plan that routine, teach my students that routine so that we create efficiency and clarity so that the content that we're going to work on is optimized. If I don't do some of that habit training lesson planning, it actually undermines the content lesson planning. I might have beautiful lesson plans as we go through uh, this unit in geometry. But if I don't have them with the right books, the right materials, the right frame of mind, it matters not how beautiful my lesson plans are. All right, and then finally, keep it simple. Uh, I myself uh, love minimalism. 
And, and there's something beautiful about the simplicity of instructions. How many of you, whether it was in your own home or in a class, sat under a lengthy lecture about how important this is and your life is precious and you know and the lecture just goes over your head and you're like what what was the kernel of the idea anyway so keeping it simple this is why i love mantras and like little three-step plans where i boil it down to just the basics this is what it looks like to organize your locker we're going to work on this it's really simple. This is what it looks like to enter your homework in your homework steno. Bullet point, simple phrase. Bullet point, simple phrase. And if they learn these simple ideas, they can, they can elaborate on those from the framework of genuine simplicity. So I'm often thinking, how do I take a process and boil it down to its simplest steps? And then that becomes what I express. So this is what planning looks like if you are going to create a culture of excellence. And now for a message from our sponsor. Are you ready to take your classroom or school to the next level? Here at Educational Renaissance, we want to equip you with skills and practices that will help you achieve your goals as educators. Join us for our next live webinar and take a deep dive into the topics you've learned about through our blog posts, podcasts, books, and videos. Learn practical skills and get your questions answered to level up your classroom or school. Simply sign up for our next live webinar on our webinar page at educationalrenaissance.com. Learn more about upcoming webinars or find other downloadable content. If you believe teaching is a craft, then join us for our next webinar where you can be apprenticed to gain valuable skills and practices. Sign up at educationalrenaissance.com. All right, so <clears throat> I want to take a, a moment to uh, introduce you to a book. This is Daniel Coyle's The Culture Code. And in an early chapter, the introduction, he talks about good apples. I don't know if you've read this or not, but there's a study that was done at the University of South Wales in Australia. And they had Nick in this study. It was small groups working on projects where they had uh, time deadlines and they, certain uh, objectives they needed to accomplish. Well, Nick was the bad apple. He was in all of the groups, and what he was supposed to do is sabotage the group dynamic. And uh, he could take on any of three roles. He could take on the jerk, he could take on the slacker, and he could take on the downer, okay? How many of us have any of those personalities that walks in our door, okay? So we get bad apples all the time in our classroom. We've got a beautiful lesson that we're planning. We're trying to build this culture and we get these bad apples in, right? We would never call them that. But if we're honest with ourselves, we, we get bad apples all the time. Well, something happened in the study as they were looking at group dynamics, team building exercises, and all of this. Jonathan, 
It's not his real name, but there was a guy who came in and he was a good apple. So despite Nick using all of his tactics to sabotage the group, Jonathan took the energy of the bad apple and he said, well, that's a great idea, but I wonder if anybody else has a, has a good idea to contribute. Or uh, if he was a slacker, you know, he could take that energy or lack of energy and say, hey, all of us have something to contribute here. What wound up happening is he used warmth and engagement to create a safe and connected environment for the team to flourish. And nothing that the bad apple could do could undermine what this good apple did to create safety and connection, where all voices could be heard, including the bad apple's voice. And that they created efficiency, they met their objectives, all because of the good apple. Now, when I finished reading this chapter, I thought to myself, oh, Lord, please give us good apples in our classes. If we don't get good apples, what's going to happen is the bad apples are going to sabotage all of our great plans. But then I realized in all of our classrooms, we've got a ringer. What if the teacher is the good apple? What if the teacher is the one that's creating the safety and the connection that says, hey, all ideas here are great. We're, we're not going to stop excavating for great ideas. So Johnny, yeah, I, I understand your pessimism, but I wonder if anybody else wants to contribute here. So we can be the good apples that helps to build a culture of excellence where we invite everybody into this even the jerk, the slacker, and the gainsayer. So that's what we're talking about when we're building a culture of excellence, is this is a safe place where we are going to celebrate great failures because we can capitalize on that failure to now strive for excellence. Or we are going to connect up with each other and do some team building things that gives us a connection. So based on that, I want to think about what it looks like to cultivate this culture of excellence. So first of all, if we're going to aim high, you need to provide support. You can't have excellence without support. Imagine trying to reach for that branch on the tree that you're going to climb that's out of reach. You need somebody to give you the boost to get there. It's achievable if you get that boost. So we, we want to have a framework of striving for excellence, but now we are the ones that are going to give support. So what does this look like? This looks like walking alongside my student. I notice um, you're not showing your steps. What if you showed me your steps? I, I, that's going to help us all strive for excellence. And I'm going to stand here and watch you show your steps. That's the support on the journey to providing excellence. Coming up with these mantras or standing alongside a student are strategies where I can give support. Sometimes that support comes in the form of parent partnership. I need to meet with them in order to optimize the support of this child. Sometimes there are extra strategies we need to come up with 
This child might need some tutoring or you know, a before school meeting to really help them on their journey to success. And so coming up with the strategies that will give each child support on the journey of excellence is really important to cultivating a culture of excellence. Huddling up in Daniel Coyle's book as he looks at teams that succeed and strive for excellence, he notes a few things. They have circle formations, they huddle up, there's a lot of physical contact, a lot of eye contact, a lot of short phrases that are shared with one another. And so you can huddle up with your class. I, I have done this with my classes, actually Cameron's class this last year. Um, I said, hey guys, let's huddle up. I've got a job for us. And I said, I wonder if we could break the world record for how fast the folding chairs get put away after chapel. Can we do this? Oh yeah, we can do this. Okay, we're gonna have to break up into teams and figure out our strategy to do this, but I, I think we could do this. So the huddle was there in order for me to strategize with the students, high connection, get them into teams and motivated to do the work we were about to do. Now think about what a huddle might look like before a math class or a history class or a writing class. And the huddle doesn't have to be a physical huddle like on a football team. It could be a conceptual huddle where we're still in our seats, but we're huddling up, we're circle forming in some way, deploying teams. So if you've got groupings or numbers where you can break your class down into teams. This is why I always felt like 12 and 16 were awesome numbers to have in my class because it's easily divisible into fours. And a group of four is a, a potent group. Um, so nature study. I'm going to divide them up into groups. This group, you're looking for leaves. This group, you're looking for bark, soil samples, nuts and, and acorns and flowers. And, and so I can break them up into teams, send them out to find things, bring them back, and we're going to present what we found to each other. So that's one level of, of uh, deploying teams. The next level is assigning team leaders to each team. So team leaders, come here. I'm going to give you some further instructions. As a team leader, you aren't going to do any of the work. You're going to mobilize your team and you're going to work towards getting your team to work together. And then I want you to report back to me how that went. So I'm embedding in their teamwork leadership training. Everybody's going to get an opportunity to do this and they're going to therefore sense in their teamwork that they themselves are contributing to this culture of excellence. This isn't Dr. Egan's culture of excellence, it is theirs. They have personal ownership for it. And then uh, be the good apple. <clears throat> Find the ways where you can connect relationally with each of your students, even the one that's causing you the most frustration or anxiety. Oftentimes when you when you are waking up in the middle of the night because there's that kid in your class, that's your subconscious basically trying to work through, how do I connect with this kid? It's not working and I need to do more creativity to try to find an avenue to connect. 
And I've often found that my most difficult students, when I put in the work to try to find some way to connect, become my favorites long-term. And now for a message from our sponsor. Sign up for the Educational Renaissance newsletter. Stay connected to the EdRen community to deepen your understanding of education and hone your craft as a teacher. The Educational Renaissance newsletter comes out every Saturday morning sharing each new blog post. Subscribers also get advance notice on special offers. We promise not to fill up your email with endless advertisements. Become part of the Educational Renaissance community. Subscribe today at educationalrenaissance.com. All right, so becoming the good apple. So finally, practicing your culture. So you've analyzed, you've envisioned, you've planned, you've put into practice these ways in which you're going to cultivate it. You need to keep practicing this, these uh, cultural cues that you are creating. So what does it look like? Rehearsing routines. Um, I am an avid fan of Jocko Willink and uh, his book, um, Extreme Ownership, his podcast, uh, Avid. He also has a, um, a children's podcast that uh, my son and I really love listening to. Um, and he talks about how in the SEAL teams, they would do rehearsals. And they weren't rehearsals you would think of. It wasn't like military movement. It was things like, how do we get onto the SUV? We need to rehearse that because there are materials we need to put on there. We need to get all of the people on the SUV efficiently. So they would rehearse that. How do we disembark from a helicopter? These seem like they're simple, and that it would be intuitive how to do it, but when you have all of this gear in the middle of a firefight, you don't wanna to have to think about how to get off a helicopter, and so they would rehearse those things. How effective would it be if we had this mindset of rehearsing? So I didn't like the way we got back and forth to PE class. What would it look like if we rehearsed that? Hey, gang, we, we could do better. Let's rehearse this. What would it look like if we got to PE really efficiently? Let's do that now. And I'm going to invest, invest time into that. Okay, we did that really well. We're gonna do it again to get the muscle memory in there. Now that just took a ton of time. That was content time that I just gave to that. But now think about how I'm buying back time because we've rehearsed that routine. I think it's really effective to be seen looking. You want to be that teacher who gained the reputation for having eyes in the back of your head, right? And this happens not by having actual eyes in the back of your head, but by noticing them, noticing things. This goes back to analyzing your culture of observing things closely. You want to see who doesn't have the right uniform shoes. You want to see who's knees are turned the wrong way because they're more invested in talking with their table partner than following along with what you are teaching. And it's in looking and then being seen looking that uh, is really important. 
Um, a lot of these tactics in this practice section um, really come from Teach Like a Champion. Um, and there's a, in Teach Like a Champion 2.0, now there's a 3.0 out there that's beautiful, excellent, but 2.0, he does these introductions. And I think it's section four is on classroom culture. And he has a lovely introduction that is part of that. And then specific tactics that you can apply. For instance, using a good teacher voice <clears throat> is one of them. How to be, how to have firm finesse, uh, beautiful tactics that I, I highly recommend. Precise praise is one of these. So I've got these mantras, right? Uh, eyes on the speaker or eyes on the, the uh, text. So this can become precise praise. It's not a uh, great job, Johnny. That's just such an unhelpful praise, isn't it? Good job at what? Just being here, being me? I don't know what you are praising. What if instead I said, hey, great job tracking the speaker. Your eyes were on this. Now that precise praise means something. I'm praising exactly the kind of thing that is a practice of an excellent culture. Great job showing up on time today. I know you worked hard on this. Imagine receiving that very specific praise. Is that going to motivate me to now be on time again? So being precise in our praise means I'm not gonna be writing good job on an assignment I'm turning back anymore. I'm going to be saying things like, hey, great transition phrases. That's what we were working on, and that's what makes for excellent writing. And then finally, celebrating together. You know what happens when you strive for a culture of excellence? You wind up with great efficiency and autonomy. Students find that when they are contributing to a culture of excellence, they are able to do things well and quickly. And what comes with that is freedom. This is another Jocko Willink phrase, discipline equals freedom. And students, when they learn that that discipline equals freedom means you wind up with time to do some things that are free. So for instance, hey, Gang, we worked really hard on our paragraphs today in composition. I walked around and I just noticed the quality of writing is exceptional. And look, we are done 10 minutes early. What I would love to do with you is go outside and play some Foursquare for 10 minutes. So we just celebrated the work we did that was excellent together. Now notice I didn't create a framework of Boys and girls, if, if you could just write well, I'll reward you with Foursquare. No, it was one of those things that we earned that Foursquare by the work we've done. And if I give them that power of self-direction, of striving towards excellence, I can also give them the fruits of that labor in giving them opportunities to voice what it is they would like to do with the free time that they receive. Uh, there have been beautiful moments 
when I've had classes with that free time ask me to do read aloud. They want to hear the next episode of Bertie Wooster and Jeeves being read aloud. Why? Because we love reading together. And that's part of the hallmark of the culture of excellence that, that we've created. So by striving towards excellence, even the quality of what they wanted to do with their free time started to rise and rise. All right, so I've given you a lot to think about, and there's so much more that you can explore. I wanted to, to share with you some key resources. I've already mentioned Daniel Coyle's The Culture Code. I've mentioned Charlotte Mason. I think a great place to begin with Charlotte Mason is actually her last book, A Philosophy of Education. And in this, you'll learn a lot about the uh, three instruments of learning that are about narration and habit training and atmosphere. And then finally, Teach Like a Champion 2.0, I think is really great. If you're an administrator here, Teach Like a Champion is great for professional development. Uh, you can do an observation and tell a teacher specifically a tactic that they could practice to help cultivate their growth as a teacher. I did bring along a couple more resources. Um, Rare Leadership is a great book. Again, this could be you as an administrator or a teacher. How can I grow in a highly relational model of leadership? We as teachers are leaders. We're leading groups of students and knowing how to connect relationally is key. And then Andy Crouch, culture making. That's what we're doing in a microcosm in our classroom. Let's thank Dr. Egan. All right, thank you so much. Um, I, I did want to invite you, if you want to go deeper, I've got a few resources on the uh, educationalrenaissance.com website where you can get uh, a guide to implementing habit training or my podcast, webinar, Habit Training 2.0. Here's a QR code where you can get the ebook for free. All right, thank you everyone.